the mortgage business, and Rob McClister, again, put this in a perfect way. There's about 12 different applications out there that all look the same, but there's about seven or eight people who are saying this is by far the best, except the consumer right. can't tell that they're the best. To the consumer, they're just exactly the same. Okay. So if that's true, then it's all about grinding out profit in a thin margin business. And you better be a great operator. You better do all those things right. You better be careful about your costs. You better be you know, excellent about converting leads. And you better try to convert as many as possible into as many different products as possible, okay? Right. So at the end of the day, the concern has to be that what's going to happen to these? You know, these guys are doing huge amounts of advertising and not great results. So I don't know what's going to happen to some of them, but I don't yeah. think it I think, yeah, I think that some of them are definitely going to have some, you know, financial challenges. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Ron Butler, and we have a fantastic conversation. I always like talking to Ron probably every quarter because he's extremely insightful and tells it like it is. Today, we talk about the future of brokerages, how he thinks that there's going to be some of them being shut down in the next year. We talk about the pineapple mortgage uh, public offering. We talk about chat GPT and then some of the things that you as a mortgage broker need to be thinking about, you know, in this current volatile market and just always a fun conversation with Ron. And I know you're going to really dig it. Also on my Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Ben from uh, Bloom about why reverse mortgages are increasing even in this current market. Before we jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers. It's very easy to use. As the borrower is filling out the application, it intelligently knows what documents they need. When they hit the send button, it sends them a link. It says, hey, why don't you send us those documents? And they've found that a lot of times people, when they're filling out their mortgage applications, actually have gathered the documents so that they can answer the questions and they actually upload the documents. And so you end up with an application and a pile of documents all at the same time. It's very slick. Check them out at lendscom slash Finmo. Check out this conversation I have with Ron. Hey, Ron, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Scott, how are you? Fantastic. Welcome to 2023, man. What a year last year was. It was something. I got lots of fun to talk. What was the biggest surprise for you from last year? If you're looking back, uh, now? well, everybody was surprised about how quickly and how far and how much the rates went up, and of course, it has just destroyed the mortgage and the real estate business. I didn't think it would go up that fast, that much, that aggressively, and of course, it did. Now, I've been predicting prices to fall for about 12 years. So much like a right. broken clock, I'm finally right. You're eventually right. right. You're eventually right. right at some yeah. point. Yeah. Right. I was wrong for a really, really long time. Okay. But now I'm finally right. So I won't gloat because if you're wrong forever, you're not allowed to gloat when accidentally it happens. What you said comes true. Right. <laughs> That's no, hilarious. I, I can't gloat. But yeah, I mean, I think it's the same for everybody. I don't believe anybody, banks included, believed that this would happen in the way that it has. Right. And so let's jump into some of these topics in terms of I think I'd like to talk about one being, do you think that everybody's going to survive this? And I'm thinking of a couple of different you know, entities. One is brokerages. The second is some of these fintech-ish type companies that have raised a bunch of money in the last little bit. You know, man, they're moving into some serious headwinds if you're burning through money and volumes are down 50%. Or just give me your thoughts on those two topics. Yeah, those two are great topics. So let's hit on the brokerages first, just the ordinary plain vanilla brokerages. And, you know, 
the best piece that I think either one of us has read is Rob McClister's most recent piece on pineapple, which I think was very, very fair, was very accurate. Like I looked at everything Rob put down on in the article and it's all 100% true. By the way, I know those people who run pineapple and they are great people. I got to put that out there. They're great human beings. I know them well, sat down, had drinks with them, had dinner with them. They are very, very good people. It is just a question, I believe, of things going wrong. The best people in the world can just make some wrong decisions. Yep. And the situation, the crash in business that we've experienced in the last six months. So just for those who haven't read the article, just to summarize really quickly, Pineapple has lost a ton of money as a company. They lose money as a brokerage. They pay their agents. Everybody gets paid. But as a brokerage, they lose money. But they got an infusion of about $7 million worth of venture capital a couple of years ago. And they've you know pretty much burned through most of that money. They've made some common mistakes that like brokerages who are starting up make. Like they pay uh, Salesforce $470,000 a year. Okay. Just Salesforce, not any other wages. That's a big nut. I mean, you know, yeah. they have a and plan. Increment, the problem with that is I, that I see is that it gets incrementally more expensive because the more users you add, it's a seat based financing. Like you pay per seat, right? right? So if you add more agents, you're going to pay more. Listen, it's even worse than that because I'm so old. I've been pitched by Salesforce for 15 years. So here's what you find out about Salesforce. Eventually, they'll even just come to you and say, you know, all that stuff that you've been paying for and we licensed to you for all those years. Hey, great news. We're going on to a whole new system and we're going to give you a much better product. But the old system is dead. So you're going to go from paying 470 a year to a million three because it's a much better system. Oh, no, I'll just keep the old system. No, 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 you didn't listen. The old system is dead in 12 months. If you don't migrate to the new system, you're just shut. And you've wasted right. all the money you've ever had with us for all these years. Like, I know Salesforce, okay? Right. Those guys, they make a lot of money for a reason. They know what they're doing. Yes, um, and it's not always a good reason, but yeah. So yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a classic mistake. Like, I was on the verge of going with Salesforce 15 years ago. And I talked to a couple of people and I was just very, very lucky that one of them talked me out of it. I mean, I'm not that smart. Right. But, right. So, okay. So that's one example of like one a, example. A, there's many course. others. There's many others. But at the end of the day, you run a brokerage. I help to run a brokerage. And you and I both know this business is a grind. It's a grind. Every mortgage broker out there knows that, particularly now. This business mm -hmm. is a grind. You have to go out and you have to create new business every single day. You got to be on top of your game every single day. You got to do the right thing every single day. Okay. It's relentless. It just comes at you. New competitors pop up. Banks all of a sudden have great rates. Banks all of a sudden start to say, yeah, we don't need to really pay much attention to those conditions about your employment anymore. We'll just give you the mortgage. I mean, you got to go right. through stuff every single day. It's a grind. So if you think you can revolutionize this business with some sort of great CRM or some sort of great application system, it's a grind. You know, you can think you can beat it with an application system, but you can't. You need to grind it out every single day. And the key to that is watching your costs. I mean, same thing you do in your brokerage, same thing we do in our brokerage. There's only so much money to be made. Yeah. It's a thin margin business, really. And you have to control your costs. If you let your costs run away, you can get in trouble. So let me kick this one thought out to your group, to everybody who's listening. Be careful if you're a mortgage agent. You don't have to be too careful at mortgage 
you know, architects, or you don't have to be too careful at, you know, these huge national companies, they're going to keep paying you properly. They're not going to run out of money. But if you work for a very small brokerage, that's kind of independent, maybe. And don't get me wrong, some of them are great. Like, you're independent, but I think you were telling mm-hmm. me you even up the ante on your pay system, right? Yeah. So we have uh, currently we pay twice a week with our agents, but then we're moving to daily because like I did the math. It costs us 80 cents to send somebody their pay. And I'm like, if you're in the file, why don't you just hit the button? Like, just be done with it, pay them and then move on. And so if I'm brokering, I appreciate that, you know, the speed of getting paid. I talked to one broker that they told me they work at a brokerage. You get paid once a month. Once a month. Sure. Once you, a month. If you miss yeah. the cutoff, like, what is this? This is not like you're you're not sending checks in the mail. And like we live in a time where it's pretty easy to go click. You know, like it shouldn't be that difficult. But so you're uh, you're you're offering like a breakthrough. I think there's some other people that are two or three times a week and maybe some other yeah. people daily, but they're few. So you're like a leading in a breakthrough there where that should make everybody in your operation comfortable. Like I close a deal, it pays, I get paid the same day. I don't have to as worry. As long as it's compliant, right? As long as it's compliant. compliant right? yep. yeah. Got to be compliant, but then you get paid. So there's people like you, and there's many others who are doing a great job in the independent world. But I throw this out to all the mortgage agents and brokers out there who are working for some of these smaller companies. Again, I'm not too worried about large national companies at all. But hey, if you see that you're missing getting paid and you ask a question about it and you don't get a good answer... I'm going to thoroughly endorse the concept that you should panic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, do the right thing first. Ask the right questions. Make sure it's compliant. Make sure everything's done. Make sure the pay is into the brokerage. Do all the right background work. But if somehow your pay is getting delayed, I'm actually going to endorse the idea of hitting the panic button. Because here's right. what happens in some small operations. They get squeezed. Their volume's way down for some of them. Not everyone, but for some. And... Yeah. There's going to be a temptation for the brokerage owner to dip into the agent's commissions, okay? Very few people are going to succumb to that, but I want to throw it out there that people- It has happened in the past. has happened in the past. Oh, and by the way, the regulator doesn't care. All your provincial regulators, if you go to your provincial regulator and say, hey, I think my brokerage has stolen like $50,000 worth of my commissions, the regulator will say, oh, that's interesting. We can't help you. Yeah, we have nothing to do with it. You got to hire a lawyer and do whatever you want. So- my urging to everyone is the minute that they think there is some kind of hold on their pay that doesn't make sense, it's time to really up the ante on that issue. Like, just go to town on it. It's important. You need to protect yourselves because right. it's not going to get better. This is not going to suddenly turn around in March and it's going to be like 2021 again. That ain't going to happen. Okay. It's going to be a very bad six months, potentially a very bad whole year similar to the last six months. So you got to protect yourselves. Folks out there, protect yourselves. Okay. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And, so uh, you know, the interesting thing about you raising money for companies and stuff is that there is a model for losing money and taking a company public. But that's usually a software company that has exceptional growth, that you have a massive user base. They haven't bought I look at like Uber and, you know, Facebook and some of these companies, they don't make money for, I don't know if Uber's made money yet. But no, like, they don't make, make money, money for a long time. Money at all. Uber doesn't make any but they're money. But they're just acquiring massive market share. You could see this hockey stick-like growth, and it makes sense. Like, But unless you're a pure software play, I don't think that that makes sense. I think it, you know, the, the economics, you have to remain profit. you got to have profitability and growth. I think it's got to well, be. You know, that's a great uh, yeah. point. It's yeah. a super point. And it brings us to my friends at Nesto. Okay. Right. So Nesto is an incredible story. You know, Nesto raised about $75 million. Maybe it's 20 months ago, maybe 22 months ago. 
And apparently, they have spent it all because they just raised another 80 million a couple of weeks ago. So let's delve down a little deeper into that. Okay. So they also did an amazing thing when they raised this money. They announced that they were engaged in a pivot. So just for those people who are unfamiliar with the Californian language, okay, so yeah. there's a separate language for California and a specific dialect in Silicon Valley, okay? So I'm going to translate for you. When you say, as a corporation who's receiving money from venture capital, if you say, we have now engaged in a pivot, the actual translation of that from California and Silicon Valley language into English is, we've run out of money. And we need a new lie. Okay. Right. So that's what the actual translation is. So what happened? I, is, that's not how I've heard it, but I'll give it my thoughts in a sec. Keep going. So what happened is that this company, Nesto, who, by the way, there's some smart people over there and there's lots of employees. There's so many employees. There's over 200 employees. You know, I don't wish them to all lose their jobs or anything like that. I hope. And certainly they've got a huge company, probably the second richest family in Canada. The Demarais and the Thompsons and the Westons are the richest families. The Demarais are behind Nesto. So what they've said is that, OK, we're going to do a pivot. And instead of just being focused on bringing great mortgages to Canadians through a super good fintech system, we're now going to sell our fintech software for mortgages to other companies, mostly just the companies owned by the Demeray family <laughs> for <Right>. now. <laughs> but uh, that's our pivot. We're pivoting, okay? Because here's what they found out. Even though they were spending an astronomical amount of money, like I'll give you an example. Nesto was advertising on the Stanley Cup finals on television. Like, right. holy moly, that's a lot of money for the Stanley right. That's Cup. not Super Bowl, but that's like the Canadian, that's that's the Canadian, Canadian, Canadian Super Bowl. Yeah. Absolutely right. Okay. Right. So yeah. the results from doing that, from this incredible, like somebody told me that they talked to a person at Rogers who thought they might be spending as much as $20 million in one year in advertising. But set that all aside, they managed to break through like a billion five in 2021, which 2021 is the best year in the history of the Canadian mortgage business by far. Like it's the- You mean like one and a half billion or one and a half billion? billion? One and a half billion. Okay. And- you know, here's the deal. That ain't enough. Okay. Like in 2021, Butler Mortgage, you know, both our divisions did more than one and a half billion. And we sure as hell don't have 200 employees. Okay. What would you do with $20 million of advertising? That would be an interesting. But here's the big key. Here's the big key. Don't spend 20 million on advertising. That's stupid. Right. Okay. It's right. stupid to spend 20 million on advertising. There's only so many people need a mortgage at so many points in time, okay? Just like everybody will tell you who's a long-term mortgage broker, hey, you know, we could spend an infinite amount of money on advertising. There'll still be a whole bunch of people that just want to keep going back to RBC. You know, we got to approach right. this in a different way. And a lot of guys have done a great job at it. Like, I believe this, give the credit where it's due. You got to take your hat off to people like Dan Eisner, James Laird, two guys, True North, Great Hub Canwise, who did so much and so well, and so carefully, and those guys are operators, okay? And they've right. got a big team behind them. They've got a lot of great people, but here's what they do. They worry about the small stuff every single day. They worry about expenses every single day. They worry about return on their investment on every single penny. They're great right. operators. So they make money at big volume. They make good income at big volume, good enough so that 
Raytub was sold to another company at a significant multiple of income, okay? Right. Because they're profitable. All these other companies, whether it's Nesto, Pine, it's a long friggin' list of these names of these companies who've got VC money, venture capital money behind them. They don't make any money. They lose money. Right. They lose money magnificently, okay? And some of them do really little business. I heard a guy suggested to me that Pine, which got $27 million from a venture capitalist, only did about $40, $50 million last year, okay? Right. Like really small numbers. So what you've got to say is the great operators, like the people who really grind it out every day and watch their expenses and try to figure out every way to do a deal. I'll give you another example at Nesto. Nesto decided to stop doing any other mortgages except for their own internal monoline. Like if their own internal monoline couldn't do it, they just said, well, we're not doing it. Okay, so we're not going to do that deal. We're not going to do any B lending. We're not going to do any pure bank lending. We're not going to do any lending that requires, we have to go beyond our own monoline provider, our own internal lender. We're not going to do anything else. Like if you're in the advertising business, that concept is batshit crazy. Okay, like if you're advertising for leads, and mortgage leads, and you're a mortgage specialist, you want to be able to do every possible deal you can do. Maybe you don't do commercial, maybe you don't do private, but you want to have a big, big list. You want to catch as many of those fish as possible. Exactly. If you're throwing out a net, you're going to have to throw a few back, but you want to take it as much as possible because you're spending money on the net, on the gas for the boat. You're spending money on the boat. You're spending money on everything. Bring in as much as you can. They chose not to. Okay. Right. Like, it sounds like I'm beating up on these guys, but what I'm really saying is that the mortgage business, and Rob McClister, again, put this in a perfect way, there's about 12 different applications out there that all look the same, but there's about seven or eight people who are saying, this is by far the best, except the consumer can't tell that they're the best. To the consumer, they're just exactly the same, okay? So if that's true, then it's all about grinding out profit in a thin margin business. And you better be a great operator. You better do all those things right. You better be careful about your costs. You better be you know, excellent about converting leads. And you better try to convert as many as possible into as many different products as possible, okay? Right. So at the end of the day, the concern has to be that what's going to happen to these? You know, these guys are doing huge amounts of advertising and not great results. So I don't know what's going to happen to some of them, but I don't think. I think, yeah, I think that some of them are definitely going to have some, you know, financial challenges and certainly raising money is not as easy as it was when things are going crazy. People were just throwing money at you, right? Didn't even even make sense. And now it's like, oh, there's a lot more diligence that goes into it. You know, I think you talk about the pivot thing. You know, when I hear think of pivot, I think it's you got to find a new product market fit, which is like what we're doing is not working. Right. You say you could say tell another story, but it's like we got to find a way to make money because what we're doing isn't working. And so there are cases when a pivot can, you know, Airbnb did not start out in the direction that they were planning. And a lot of these companies do major pivots. I think we've got this sort of, you know, it used to be the heroes of today, at least for me, anyways. My heroes are like the entrepreneurs who go out and they grind. I love watching these shows and the stories. And you see so many of them come to the edge of like you know, Spotify and the guys at Uber and like they come to the edge of literally like complete annihilation and somehow they get out of it. There's a survivorship bias because all the guys that get wiped out on that edge, we don't even hear about because those companies are gone. But and so it's kind of exciting. But at the end of the day, you still got to be a good operator. You've got to really focus, as you said, 
on the fundamentals. Are you making money and understanding what business you're in? I think that, you know, back to the guys, and again, the guys, I think the guys that come up are awesome, is that I think that there's a mismatch between there's a sense of like, are you guys a brokerage or are you a fintech? Because I wouldn't call myself a fintech. I'm building a network because trying to build a CRM, that is so expensive. You will spend millions and millions and millions of dollars. And then you're competing with guys who've spent hundreds of millions. Look at like Salesforce and Zoho. And so like getting into that business is to me is like, is madness. Like that's not even a pool I want to play in. It's going to be the same thing that, you know, the rocket mortgage guys in Detroit are going to discover about Canada. Because in the United States, the margins on mortgage brokerage per se, as you know, because you deal with people in the States every day, the margins are much better. They're like 250 beeps. We're like 115, 120, like it's half. In a best case scenario. In a best case scenario and often less. So I think the folks in Detroit are going to find that in a down market, like we're experiencing now in Canada, that, wow, some of these numbers in Canada just don't really work. You know, I, it wouldn't totally shock me to see a retrenchment on the rocket mortgage side because, look, those guys in the States are super, super smart guys. I've met a couple of them. Okay. They're really, yeah. really smart, tough business people. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. They just call it a day. There's lots of companies that have come to Canada. Hello, Target stores. Okay. There's lots of right. companies that have come to and Canada. It doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it doesn't, it doesn't, work, in Canada. It just doesn't work here. Okay. Right. It work. It's like Tim Hortons in the US. They just don't love us the same down there. You know, like uh, it hasn't gone that way. So what do you kind of predict? What other kind of things do you see in this next year? Okay. So there's going to be some shakeup, certainly in the fintechs. I think they're going to challenge. There's going to be some brokerage shakeup, especially the smaller ones. Anything else you're sort of seeing that you kind of can see looking ahead the next six months? Well, it's just for mortgage brokers, you've got to manage your expenses. You got to think about your personal expenses. You've got to, and hey, stuff that you talk about all the time, because I do listen to your podcast. So if you're an individual trying to make it in this business in this radically slower time, you have to double down on your efforts in terms of marketing to achieve just the same baseline of income or stay in that area. You actually have to phone more people. And here's the warning. Every moment you spend trying to tinker with your CRM or do some analysis on a spreadsheet about who you maybe should be contacting or reaching out to other brokerages to see who's going to offer you a better deal, hey, that might be helpful, but you also have to just spend a lot of time phoning people. You've got to try to create sales activity. So that's my only real suggestion to those folks who are out there. So you have an advertising type style business. I mean, you've got a large database as well as a advertising. So how have you adjusted your business in this, given that there's just less volume? Have you made any adjustments? I'm not going to ask you to be like, you know, get into you know your secret sauce, but in general, what kind of adjustments have you made given what's happening? Well, well, first of all, we've had to massively cut labor expenses because we don't have any commissioned people. Everybody is a salaried person. So we've had to go through a massive series of layoffs. We have far less people today than we had in the past. And we've had to... When did you start that? What April, was when did... April. April. So I, if you're listening to this, that was quite a ways ago. Most people are like, you know, oh my gosh, it's July. What happened to the... So you started cutting in April. Like you've been doing this a long time. If you think about the warning light on the dash, what was... Rising the... mortgage rates. Rising mortgage rates. As soon as you see those rates going through the roof, you know you're done. You're just done. Okay. This is so just, you knew the volume was going to slow down even 100%. just from that alone, right? Yeah. Another brokerage was kind enough to have me do a talk for their top producers. And at the end of the little talk, the mortgage boss said, Hey, Ron, thank you for putting on this talk. I mean, we thought you were going to tell us about sales and actually a funeral broke out. Um, you, know, <laughs> you told us we're all doomed. That was in April too, actually. That was also in right. April. 
Okay. So, so yeah, it was really simple because I'm so old. Like I'm really, really old. I'm 65, right? So I just knew that this is what happens when rates go through the roof. It happens every time. It's inescapable. And you must try to manage it. So, you know, I did know in advance that this was going to get. So what about, okay, so you cut labor. What about if you 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 have to drill down harder in your database, you have to whatever sort of kind of passive approaches you have in your database, you have to switch to active approaches. Like actually, if you're just doing our drip campaign, you've got to start to phone them. You've got to employ your salaried sales staff to actually go out and phone people because they're not getting as many incoming calls so they can do some more outgoing calls. So there's a lot of stuff you can do just generally drilling down on database and you've got to watch that you don't cut advertising. I mean, you've got to cut a lot of other things, a lot of other things. And you've got to stop buying anything, obviously. We weren't big purchasers, but you've got to look at every lease, every equipment lease, every single thing you can think of to manage expenses. But the basic stuff of doing advertising, if you're an advertiser, you've got to keep going. You've got to keep going. Right. And to bring in a little bit less, but if you're going to walk away from what made you, it's going to harm you. Yeah, right. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So what are the things you're seeing that you could kind of predict in the next six months? So for a more longer term thing, I think everybody should check out this chat GPT thing. Okay. I mean, oh, I was going to ask about that, that next section. It was on my list of have you, have you uh, AI and it? chat GPT. You looked at it? I, oh, I've been playing with it a lot. It's fascinating to me, actually. How do you see that disrupting mortgages? Like just from your, what you see? Okay, so you know there was a about maybe it's almost six years ago now, five or six years ago, Scotia developed the best possible digital mortgage application in Canada. It's called Scotia eHome. It was an absolute breakthrough. It was the finest example of nose to tail. You could actually go through the entire mortgage process with Scotia eHome, and you'd never have to talk to a human being. Never. Okay. It was that good. It was that you had to fit in the right boxes, but it could conceivably do it to the point where the only person you interacted with was your lawyer to close the home purchase. Okay. It was a total failure. Like the Scotia admits it themselves. It's just a complete failure. The public wasn't quite ready for that degree of digitalization. But here's the first thing I thought about when I started playing with chat. This solves that problem of the person wanting better explanations. When you play with that thing, you realize it will give you a long, plain English, thorough, and intelligent explanation to every goddamn question you ask. I know it's shocking, actually. It's, shocking. it's, it's, it's shockingly good. Like, and you can be like, "Hey, make it funnier." You know, like I've done that. I've asked a question, like, and it's like, "Oh, it tells me the same thing with make it shorter, make it like." It's remarkable, actually. But start asking it technical questions. Ask it about amortization. Ask it about early pay down. Ask it about mortgage break fees. It's not even properly trained for mortgages, and it will still give you cogent answers that are easy to understand. Okay, Better answers than most mortgage brokers. <laughs> 100%. So if you take that idea and say, well, I'm going to spend four months really downloading machine learning into this chat AI only about mortgages you could probably do a lot better job of direct-to-consumer mortgages. Like I am betting the house on it, okay? Let me give you one other little idea, okay? If you were a lender, why would you need as many BDMs if you could get this chat thing perfected, okay? Like, sure, you'd need a few, okay? But for every call you got about, hey, remind me, uh, what is your uh, approach to rentals again, okay? So, the chat thing could tell you the whole damn approach to rentals with a little bit of machine learning, okay? Again, it's beautifully descriptive. It it's like somebody sitting there who's very fast at typing, just answering your questions. like And a very good writer, okay? Yeah. And, and everything else. So, you know, if I was to say this to lenders, I would say, dudes, you need about half as many or 65% less 
BDMs. If you had this system to answer every weird question about, hey, uh, do you lend in uh, Paris, Ontario? Okay, well, the chat could give you an immediate, oh, we would consider lending in Paris, Ontario, but only at 50% loan to value. And holy shit, why would you need BDMs anymore? Sorry, for all my BDM friends putting you out of work. I yeah, please, yeah, exactly. Don't share this with your boss. Yeah, nobody's going to see this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's an interesting piece of tech that I was really shocked by. You know, of course, everybody just talks about it doing cheating in high school on college on essays, but like that's not the real brilliance of this thing. The real brilliance of this thing is taking somewhat complex concepts in question form and it gives you a wonderful explanation back. So it's well worth thinking about. You got to look at yeah, it. Yeah, we're definitely running some experiments. And I feel like how the internet has disrupted business in general, like the fact that you and I can talk right now, like I think AI is equivalent disruption. Maybe not in its current state, but it is unbelievable when you think about the ways that you can use something like this for your business. And so it goes back to like, what is the purpose of the human now? Like, what is the roles that are hard to AI? I think underwriting in particular, as you know, a lot of lenders have auto adjudication. They have, they're using software and, and more and more that's becoming, you add that into this, you know, people just want the answer. At the end of the day, the reason to reach out to a BDM is they just want the answer. So if they can get the answer faster by using something like this, and if it's, like you said, coherent and it's, you know, it doesn't sleep. It's just going to be, give me the answer. That's all I want. And then, you know, you can ask follow-up questions. I can see a day where I'd love to have my own personal AI that basically like, hey, I want to get tickets to this game. Oh, Scott, I know what you like. And literally your personal AI, like this is going to affect search Google. Because like you go into Google right now to look stuff up, but like if you have AI doing this, you're just going to ask the question. It's going to give you the answer. And you're like, I don't want to search through all these pages of Google. Just go get me the answer. And it's, you know, you know the company who's behind these guys, right? I don't know that. No, I know that there's a bunch of people that have invested like Microsoft and Microsoft Elon. The, Microsoft is the prime investor. Okay. Yeah. And let's realize something that's true. Microsoft has spent the last 12 years trying to figure out a way to unseat Google. Right. Yeah, even this will disrupt Google because people will use this in terms of, you know, once it indexes a large chunk of the internet, it'll be like, you can find anything, you know. You can find anything with much more precision and with much more uh, background. I mean, yeah. Google can't answer every question. That's for damn sure. It can show you where the answer is, but it won't answer the question. So yeah, I think in answer to your question, which was a great question, where does that leave people and people in the mortgage business? It's just one word creativity. AI is not right. creative. Like you can't, so far, there's no breakthrough that allows AI to be creative. So when it comes to you putting on this podcast or me chirping out some bullshit on Twitter or <laughs> you know, where it comes to being an authentic voice and a creative thought and the interplay of human ideas, that's going to be the important part. So if you think right now, I'm just a great technical underwriter, and that's what I bring to the mortgage business, you might want to think a little bit more about yeah. what's happening. Um, and I think that we're going to move towards being more of an editor than a creator. You know, like we're going to use these tools to accelerate, like you should never suffer from writer's blocking. Like if you have anything that you're trying to write about, you go in there, give me five points on this. Give me this, like literally, like it's like my son recently, when he saw this, like instantly, he's just like, dad, like, this is awesome for school, right? Because he's this kind of kid. He's like, oh, dad, I got 94% on my most recent essay. I'm like, okay, tell me more about this. Because he's not like, he doesn't write essays. 
And then I'm like, did you use this tool? It was, yeah, I didn't write it, but yeah, I used it for research. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's sure. Well, I don't even know what that even means. So, but I'm like, okay, I would rather you get used to this tool because that is going to be the new world we live in. And you're better off to learn. It's really about, you got to know how to ask the questions and how to do prompts. It's going to be, we're going to be good at asking the questions because the answers are there. If you know how to formulate the right kind of questions. And then, Absolutely. And then apply some creativity to the data that comes out and go, okay, what else, how other ways can we look at this or... Well, you gotta um, but, you gotta supply creativity. You gotta supply authenticity. Like the one yeah. thing that AI will never do is it will never have an authentic voice. It will never swear unless you program it to. It'll never tell a joke unless you really press it to do so. It will not be that kind of a rapport that humans can gain with each other. But you're right. It's going to do a whole ton of the technical responses, and it's right. going to do a whole ton of the research for you. That's absolutely true. Try this if you haven't. So I went in there and I wrote and I said, write a blog post on why now is a good time to buy real estate. Then I said, write an article on why now is a bad time to buy real estate. They were both excellent. They well argued yep. both sides extremely well. I they was are like, well written. They are well. Yeah, written. I was like, holy crap! I, I like it literally. Like, I was shocked at the response from on both sides of that same argument. And it was like somebody had researched the heck out of it and wrote it in uh, sixty seconds. There's an offshoot of this tool that kids use. I've forgotten because, like, my step grandson was showing me. So it's the craziest thing. They can come to you and they say to you, "Okay, imagine any person in the history of the world." Put their name in your head, and I'm going to ask you questions till we get to the name of that person. So I picked a really obscure historical person, okay? And in 29 questions, that chatbot got it. <laughs> That's crazy. And um, I said, does this work for everything? He said, yeah, it can, sometimes it goes as high as 38 questions, but eventually everybody succumbs. Eventually, right. it, figures it makes it us makes me realize that all of our knowledge is really just parroting other things like that we've learned and read. And I mean, we're applying some creativity, but I don't know. To me, it's exciting. But you have to think about harnessing this. You've got to get in front of it. You cannot ignore this. I think this is a trend that you do not want to ignore. Ignore it at your own peril. Figure out how to harness it in your business. I think that's the play here because otherwise it's crazy. But it's not going to happen overnight. Like nothing in this business that is really controlled by six big banks, nothing happens overnight. Okay. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. So that's like guys like Rob McLister and I have been talking about the end of, of the normal, regular plain vanilla mortgage broker for about 12 or 13 years now. And it's still going strong. Right. Okay? So, but you see signs that things will change. You know what I think it goes, it goes slowly, then suddenly. It's like slow, nothing, nothing. And then, but it, when it does shift, it will go so fast that most of us will be sitting around going, what the heck just happened? Like, yeah, that's like know. Hemingway's quote about bankruptcy. Very slowly, and then at once. <laughs> All at once. And, and I think something like, you know, even how the real estate market's changed recently, it's kind of like nothing was happening, and bam, it's like it goes very quickly. We'll wrap up this. This has been a fun conversation. We've talked a lot of different things. What's your sort of last piece of advice to any broker out there for this next year for them? Well, first of all, don't lose hope. Okay. Don't lose hope because here's what I will say of the, another advantage of being old. I know the cycle turns eventually. This is going to be a longer cycle. Like when sometimes people talk about 2008, 2008 was a really crappy six months and then it took off like gangbusters. Okay. Mm -hmm. We've already been through a really crappy six months and it ain't taken off next week. Mm -hmm. It's not, okay? It's gonna be a really rough year. Don't lose hope. Don't be irrational. Like, I mean, if you feel you just can't make it, you might have to make a yeah. decision. 
But don't yeah. think that this is suddenly going to be okay in April. It's not. It's going right. to be tough for the best part of this whole year. But wait, there's more. But there's more. Yeah, there's we more. use slap chop. <laughs> Sham wow, there's more. Okay. In 2024, things will start to turn around. And the good news is for people who've gone through this sort of baptism of fire through the tough 18 months, you're going to be around to take advantage of this upcycle because there's always an upcycle. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And, and we still have at the end of the day, even with the higher rates and, you know, the prices coming down, we still have a supply problem. That's not getting fixed anytime soon. And so there's still demand going to be built up and, you know, there's pent up demand that will happen. And so I think that, but when that happens, who knows, but be the last man, last woman standing and you're going to be in a good spot. So thanks Robert, for coming chat with me. 100%. All right. Hopefully you got uh, inspired, motivated. You still have some hope and you're not ready to shut down your mortgage business after that conversation. And uh, in this next segment, I talked to Ben from Bloom about reverse mortgages. Hey, Ben, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott. Good to be back. Hey, so uh, what's the topic that we want to dive into today? Yeah, so I figured we could talk about, I mean, I think I don't need to remind people uh, in this industry that, you know, traditional mortgage activities may be a little bit softer than it was last year. I don't have November data, but I saw in October, uh, home sales were off 36% year over year. But reverse mortgages are kind of powering through the downturn. You know, we think there'll probably be about 1.7 billion of reverse mortgage origination this year, which is like up 30% year over year. And so I kind of want to talk about like, why is this happening? Why is the reverse mortgage industry kind of powering through the cyclicality that's affecting the rest of the mortgage industry? Right. Actually, in my mind, it kind of makes sense that it probably would, but I'm interested to hear from your perspective what you're seeing. Because I mean, we were chatting, you said your months have been growing month over month, even as most originations are down. So what's kind of the first reason why you see that reverse mortgages are going in the other direction? So the first thing really has to do with sort of correlation. So the reverse mortgage industry is just not really correlated with housing activity. And obviously housing activity is what drives most mortgage volume, right? Home sales. We did a bit of math and we said like reverse mortgage activity, the reverse mortgage market, how much is it kind of correlated with the broader market? And we measure that by using this metric called beta, which I won't get into, but effectively a beta of one means that something's like almost exactly correlated with the industry. If the industry goes up, it goes up and vice versa. Beta of zero means it's totally uncorrelated. So what we calculated was the beta of the reverse mortgage space is about 0.18. So a lot closer to zero than it is to one. And, you know, I think the reason for that is that, you know, in kind of 95% of our mortgages and our scenarios, we aren't financing home purchases. Right, which is obviously what you know trends you know pretty closely yeah. to the broader market. In eighty percent of cases, what we're using the reverse mortgage for is to wipe out mortgage payments. Right. So, like, just think about in today's market, right? Mortgage rates are going up. People are hitting their trigger rates. Refinances are getting more expensive. So, the same things that are making new home purchases less attractive are making reverse mortgages more attractive. Not right. having to make a payment, right? So, in a lot of ways, reverse mortgages are countercyclical, very low beta, just not that correlated with the overall market. Right. I've heard that term before, but I didn't actually understand it. So a beta of one is basically like... Perfect correlation with the market. Right. You plant a seed in the ground and you water it and a tree grows. The beta of that would be one because it was directly correlated to, you know, obviously there's factors, but essentially, and then something that's not less correlated is actually, this is from your investment banker background, right? This is, this, <laughs> yeah, this, exactly. is, this is info. We were chatting before this about your spreadsheet designs and stuff. And I was like, holy crap, I, I kill for some of those skills. So, okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense though. When you think about it, if you've got a line of credit, even that you're seeing the payments go up and you're like, you know, okay, I just want to get rid of this. And so replace with a reverse mortgage. So that makes sense. What's the second reason you see them continuing to trend upward? 
Yeah. So the second thing is really like inflation. Look, as a generalization, seniors, who are obviously our customers for reverse mortgages, are the proportion of the Canadian population that are the most asset rich, but income poor. Mm. So in retirement, they really start to sacrifice a lot of sort of discretionary purchases and retrench to kind of the basics, the staples, the things they need. So overall inflation in the market right now, I think is around six to 7%. It's come down a bit. But the problem is that if the inflation that does exist right now is affecting those staple products, those basics, a lot more than it's affecting other like more discretionary purchases. So overall inflation is 6 to 7%, but like grain prices, cereals, that's 18% up year over year. Okay, baked goods about 15%, fruit 13%, vegetables 12%. Now, the government in terms of like adjusting, you know, entitlements like CPP and OIS, which a lot of people rely on in, in retirement, they're going to base that on the overall inflation rate in the market, right? So for 2023, they're going to adjust up CPP and OIS by about 6.3%. But that's only half of what it would need to make those staple purchases, to make people sort of equal from a purchasing yeah, power it's standpoint. It's not like inflation is the same across every item or every Exactly, exactly. And the things that people category, really right. need are the things that are the most expensive right now. So basically seniors need another source of purchasing power. And where can they find purchasing power? Obviously, you know, in the equity that they built up in their homes. And so people are more and more looking to that equity to increase their purchasing power in retirement. Right. My son was saying to me the other day that he, Dad, you know, a couple of years ago I could get a Red Bull for 250. You know, now it's almost five bucks. It's funny that in a very short period of time, he's seen it, you know, first off, whether you drink Red Bull or not, I'm pretty sure most of you are probably not drinking cans of Red Bull. But uh, I went to get a shawarma and a pop last week, it cost like 20 bucks. Like that used to yeah. be a, that used to be somewhere between five and 10 bucks, I remember. But uh, yeah, and so you really notice it on these consumer goods or these like consumables. And like growing up, I don't remember prices moving that quickly as a kid, where I could see something literally double in no. a couple of years. No, so but in yeah. any case, okay, so yeah, I agree with your inflation. And imagine if you were factor. on Imagine if you're living on $3,000 a month, which is what a lot of our customers are between CPP and OAS. Right. Okay. So you're not correlated with the housing market. You're seeing inflation that's, you know, hitting the, you know, consumable goods that they need on a daily basis higher than the market. What would be the third reason that you see reverse mortgages continuing to trend up? Yeah, just quite simply, the size of the addressable market is getting bigger. Okay. Just a couple of stats. 307,000 Canadians retired last year, up over 30% from the year prior. Over 600,000 Canadians turned 65 over the last couple of years. Another stat for you, the 70 plus population, so you know, kind of our bread and butter consumer is going to grow by 44% over the next 10 years. So for every customer today, there's going to be another one tomorrow. And then when you look at the Canadian reverse mortgage market relative to other markets globally, for example, the UK, Canadians still really aren't using reverse mortgages at the same level they've adopted them in other markets. Like the UK is five times as penetrated. So for every reverse mortgage we do per senior in Canada, they would do five in the UK. Wow. Last just sort of stat for you, and this one I find is the most powerful. There are 4.2 million 65 plus homeowners in Canada today that have less than $100,000 of household income. 4.2 million. Okay. But there's only 25,000 reverse mortgages outstanding in Canada today. So like the market penetration is like 0.5%, I think. So there's just a huge opportunity to grow the market significantly. And with all those trends that we kind of mentioned before, it's going to grow considerably. And so just even like notwithstanding that cyclicality in the market, notwithstanding interest rates and all that kind of stuff, if the number of customers that could need your product is growing, then originations are going to grow, right? So um, right. it's really that sort of that great retirement, the sort of demographic trending is just such a powerful force that it's overpowering like so many other economic factors. Right. 
but that also puts pressure on a lot of the things that those seniors are going to consume because there's lots of them, which means that their costs are going to go up, you know. That's so, a great point. That's interesting. Okay, so three kind of takeaways from this. First, housing and reverse mortgage are not correlated. It's very low correlation, which means that just because purchases are down doesn't affect the reverse mortgage market. The second is inflation, which even though it's kind of 6% now or 7 whatever it is, it's actually not proportionate across all goods. And in particular, the consumable goods have gone up significantly more. And when you're on a fixed income, that can be a challenge for people because it's like, shoot, how do I afford this now? Oh, maybe I can get rid of my mortgage payment or I can access equity to support me. And then finally, the addressable market is just expanding you know, year over year. And the penetration is very low in Canada or the adoption. But I agree with you. I think it's a product. It's a timing is perfect. So, I mean, you guys, with your company, you've launched and stuff. I think your timing is brilliant for what consumers are going to need and what you know brokers can help their clients with. And even their clients' databases are getting older. Like you know, any of my friends who've been in the business for a while, database is getting older. So what is your kind of last takeaway or thought on this whole thing? I say that kind of the main point here is that building reverse mortgages into your business as a broker is just a good hedge. It's a good hedge against sort of the general ups and downs of the regular mortgage market, right? Like obviously in boom times, you're going to be focused a lot on your traditional mortgage business. But in down times like this, when there's just not enough traditional mortgage business to do, having reverse mortgages there is that hedge is something you can kind of fall back on and focus more of your marketing dollars on, focus more of your efforts on. It'll pay dividends in the long run. Right. And if you guys are listening to this, check out Ben and his team at Bloom Finance or bloomfin.ca. You guys can help either take the entire thing from end to end if you like, and you guys still pay the brokers, or you can be involved in the process. But reach out to them, they can help you guys out. And Ben, I think it's awesome, and uh, we'll be chatting again soon. Thanks, Scott. All right, hopefully, you got some ideas from my conversation with Ron and Ben today. Thanks for listening. Also, if you want to go find us a little bit about what we're doing with our brokerage, go to brxhq.ca. That's brxhq.ca. We've got a blog there that we share what's happening in the brokerage, as well as links. You can check out everything we got going on. Thanks for listening to this episode, and I will see you on the next show. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.